millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 351st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Kyle McConaughey and our buddy Hart Perez, who just stopped me at a restaurant last night and told me hello, which made me really happy because no one has ever... Uh, said hi to Matt before. That's a that's a fan of the podcast, but I get it all the time. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Jeff Bigos on the show. He's the director of Christmas Bloody Christmas and also previous neon-drenched horror films VFW and Bliss, among others. It's an awesome conversation. I had so much fun. He really epitomizes just shooting it, but also blows up cars, breaks glass, does all these crazy stunts, takes over towns. It's truly an inspiring, super fun conversation. I mean, my favorite part of this talk is just him saying that producers tend to tell you what you can't do because it's too expensive. And then he just goes on like Amazon.com and proves them wrong. He's like, we can do this. We can make our own thing. We can buy this car and we can blow it up. What's the big deal? And sometimes you think of something that sounds very expensive you know, like a big stunt, a big car thing, a big something. But when you look at the nuts and bolts of like, how much does it actually cost? You know, if you're making a movie for $100,000 and you can get this like insane stunt for $3,000, then it's probably worth it. Yeah, you should do it. Flip that car over. I can't tell you how many times I would do double takes while we're talking where you just be like, yeah, and then we made our own breakaway glass. And I don't know, was it this or that or whatever? And I'm like, wait, hold on. What? And I, I think that you and I are pretty hands-on DIY guys. You know, we're down to try things out or put cameras in weird places or go source a thing ourselves all the time. This conversation really made me feel like, oh, what am I doing? I should be home brewing my own breakaway glass in my oven right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess it didn't make me feel old necessarily, but it made the contrast between indie film and commercial directing like, sure. incredibly stark. Because sure. He's basically making movies for himself and we are directing mainly for other people. It's never clearer than when you're like, uh, fuck it. I'm going to jump on the, you know, on the hood of this car <laughs> and film the actor through the window as they crash through a fence. You just could never, ever do that on anything that, that we work on recently. I, I have done that. I mean, I think almost all of us uh, starting out, you know, have stuck our our head and camera out of sunroof and filmed sure <laughs> filmed yeah. something man um back in the day we used to do that stuff on a big network tv show we would do it all the time we would lean out of cars all the time in open traffic oh yeah yeah just like in the valley just like in burbank and i think we got in trouble for it 
which is good because I was like, I don't know that this is like, what can't we just do this the right way, everyone? We were not doing it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> it was unsafe and I regret it actually. Uh, but that's different than what Joe is describing. And, uh, and I think that if listeners take anything away from the show in general, it's just go shoot it. But also like this conversation should excite you, should motivate you and should remind you that just because people do it a certain way doesn't mean it has to be done that way. And we are all privileged with growing up in the era of YouTube and cheap cameras. And there's a lot of stuff you can figure out yourself that you used to have to like literally, you know, go to a weird warehouse in Burbank to buy or go to a library and become a chemist to figure out. And like Joe's just doing it. And it's, it was a really fun conversation. I'm really glad that uh, we made it happen. Yeah. I mean, the other interesting thing is that he shoots all his movies on 16 millimeter film, no matter what the budget is, which, you know, to us is like, <gasps> that must yeah. be so expensive. But he's done, you know, like $200,000 movies on 16 millimeter film. Um, and he, his last movie is a $2 million movie. So uh, it's called Christmas Bloody Christmas, and it is out right now. It is uh, definitely Christmassy and definitely bloody. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you can watch it on Shudder. I don't think we normally do any sort of adult warnings, but this one maybe, I think maybe yeah, there's maybe there's a few a more F-bombs than normal and stuff. So if you've got kids in the car, you don't want them to hear about that or about some of the dangerous stuff that, uh, you know, people pull off trying to make a great movie then maybe skip this one. But for everyone else, strap the F in. <laughs> what, it, what do you mean by the F? Just for clarity. Fart. Strap the farts in because it, it's such a good episode that you just, you got to hold them in because you don't want to be distracted by anything. Before we talk to Joe, I want to remind everyone we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place you can go and just tell us that you like the show. We have a bunch of fans on there and we really, really appreciate it. You know, if you feel like you get anything out of this, maybe we helped you book something. Maybe you had a job you were nervous about. And then uh, Matt and I talked about a worse way to do it and made you more confident all of a sudden. If you at all feel like this show is helpful to you and you want to um, help support it, help uh, pay our editor and all of our web serving things and all those other things, uh, go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. If you join at the $20 level, even for one month, you'll get a just shoot it hat. Uh, it just, uh, you know, was on a shoot at the Universal lot and a lot of people um, Very cool. saw it and were instantly jealous of me. A lot of very successful people. We're like, where can I get this hat? And I told them on my podcast and they said, oh, you have a podcast. And then I was like, yeah. And I started telling them about it and they just walked away. Anyhow, just shoot a pod. Check us out on Patreon. We appreciate it greatly. And uh, let's go on with the show. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Joe, hello. How's it going, man? Joe Biggis, thanks for joining us on a Saturday. Yeah. It's been a very long time since we recorded on the weekend. Yeah, truly, truly. But you're in the middle of production. Right, uh, after after midnight on the weekday or on the weekend. So I'm just going to do a weeknight. But. I imagine since you work in horror a lot, what percentage of your shoots would you say are night shoots? Uh, well, I've reached my final form of uh, the Christmas movie was um, every single night was 38 straight night shoots. Of not one. <laughs> oh, not one. man. I wanted to do VFW all nights because the movie takes place all at night. But, you know, my entire cast was like 70. So that didn't really. <laughs> they, were, they were like, no, we won't do that. So like it was like eight hours of nighttime. But mm-hmm. it worked out because we had a little bit of daytime stuff. But in order to do like a proper day, we would do 12 hour days. And at the start of day, we would do like four daytime shots. So that's why, thank God, all of our daytime shots are at sundown. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, we're going to shoot in sequence um, for the most part. And let's just pop off like three shots today of daytime. So, I mean, that's the I, I wish everything could be at sundown. That's why I'm doing the movie now. But like that schedule worked out perfectly because we'd never go over. And, you know, we got to do night shoots every single day. And we got fucking Tony Scott sundown every single day for all the daytime shots. So like that's the that's the way I want to go from now on. If I do have any sort of daytime shots in my movie, it's like shoot it all the last 45 minutes of the day. So it's fucking beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, you never get that. stressed out about like losing, like not getting a scene or a stunt not working or something and like you just losing the light. Yeah, that shit always happens. But, you know, that, that's that's like the nature or that's the beauty of it, because it's like, you know, unless I'm in a location for one day, um, mm-hmm. you're not gonna be able to get that shit. But like being in L.A., I was able to just like pop out and like, let's go get a couple city shots or we're in the loft. Let's, you know, get these couple shots before it becomes nighttime. And, you know, we're able to wrangle all those and kind of malleably push it to the next day. And thankfully, I never have anybody breathing down my neck, so I'm able to like arrange schedules and stuff, and always get what I want. And I own like 16 cameras, so every single movie I've done, I've gone out, you know, during editing, and just popped up shots that we owe. Even in the Christmas movie, like we did four days of shooting in LA, um, and you'd probably be shocked to know the the stuff that we actually did shoot in LA. But <laughs> and is it like is it insert stuff? So is it like, Oh, like you, you can't tell that we're blending scenes together or things like that. Or like what specifically do, were you guys stealing in those four days? 
Um, well, with the Christmas movie, it was like definitely inserts, and then um, it's there's a couple like effect shots that I shot in my apartment. All the commercials mm-hmm. at the beginning, we shot like five days before we had to deliver. Mm-hmm. All those commercials in my apartment. Besides the one with the family, um, where was the one in the family with the one? Uh, the one with the family, Williamson. Um, we shot that in Burbank at his house. Oh, okay, I had with kids who um, would have done it for free and. Uh, Allowed to put his kids, or, or, or allowed him to put his kids in the movie. Yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> yeah, man, that's cool. I love that. I, I think you know. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the sixteen millimeter thing, but I, I think one of the things Warren and I talk about all the time is how nice it is to just be able to like go grab one of those insert shots and how flexible and malleable your film can be. You know, like. Uh, just being able to like, like, be like, oh fuck, I need a hand on a doorknob is always the example. Like, just go shoot it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, we actually shot a hand on a doorknob for VFW in my bathroom. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. Well, so I- I'm curious, you've got like this awesome track record and a very clear a- aesthetic, right? Of like, you're leaning heavy into like saturated neon colors, right? That's like a thing that um, certainly Christmas Bloody Christmas is doing, but it looks like Bliss and VFW are kind of like at least hinting at now. And you've, it feels like you've like just fucking embraced it pretty, pretty head on. And also you're shooting 16 millimeter, right? And so I'm curious, you know, I haven't shot a ton of film in my career or really any, to be honest. Um, and I love that you're doing this kind of like throwback you know, almost homage aesthetic. Tell us why 16 millimeter and maybe some of the surprising pros and some of the surprising cons of shooting with. Um, well, I just, you know, ever since uh, I knew I wanted to be a film, I don't know, my whole life, I guess, I just was always attracted to the look of film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I thought it was cool that they were releasing all these dope digital cameras that I could learn shit on. But uh, I still always love the aesthetic of film. And, you know, um, People who are still shooting on film, like Aronofsky, you know, with The Wrestler and Black Swan and shit like that, and uh, you know, Irreversible's on sixteen. I was just always so attracted to the look of it. I always wanted to shoot on it, and you know, my first couple movies were so low budget that I just shot on digital. And uh, with Bliss, I actually had less money than my previous movie. I only had like two hundred grand, and um, I really like one thing about that was like, I, you know, we'll do it bare bones, gorilla style, but I want to shoot on sixteen. I think it's going to lend itself. You know, it needs to look like fucking old school seventies. New York City exploitation, basically. Um, so we figured it out, and I just budgeted the movie around shooting on sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, and I fell in love with the process so much and the way that it looked uh, that you know I just made the uh, made the call that I was going to do that on every movie, and then of course VFW. Uh, that's the movie, only movie I've made so far where I kind of had somebody who could veto decisions that I made, and um, they wouldn't let me shoot sixteen, and mm-hmm. they were annoying. Um, but since then I've now bought cameras and, you know, uh, there's really nobody who can tell me like, it, it's like, if you don't want me to shoot a 16 of a cost thing, I'll just fucking use my cameras for free and it'll offset the cost. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like on Christmas, I could just rent my cameras to the production at the same price a rental house would and, you know, make money back on the cameras. Uh, but like, it's also the thing where even at this point, 16 millimeter, it's like scientifically better than digital. I mean, 16 millimeter has higher resolution than fucking 8k. Mm-hmm. 65 fucking cameras so i mean we're probably one of the only industries where the technology has for some reason went backwards and sure at 
you could argue that it's an ease of use, especially back, you know, like when Michael Mann was doing collateral because of like nighttime footage and all that. But I mean, you guys look at the Christmas movie and I shot that movie on anamorphic 1.5 lenses. The, the stock is so fast now, like that scene where it's go following them down the road. That's mm-hmm. just the lighting. We didn't like that fucking street. We, we hooked up all those Christmas lights, but that's practical lighting and we're getting all that exposure. So like, it's not mm-hmm. even a lighting thing anymore. It's a, a slight cost thing, but we're at the point where they've developed the film to be so fast. They've developed lenses to be so fast. And it's like, I mean, I, I'm loading film on the movie I'm shooting now myself. It takes fucking 10 seconds a roll. It's like, I don't understand. I, I think the people who, you know, always downplay the the hardships of shooting on film, I've never actually done it because I'm constantly explaining to my filmmaker friends who are like, you know, five, six movies deep. And like Travis Stevens, um, he just did a Wounded Fawn. I was fucking on his house. I'm like, dude, just fucking shoot. Yeah, we and know he, Travis. And he was like, he did it on a Wounded Fawn. He's like, oh, you're right. You're right. And I'm like, yeah, I just wish that more people would do it because now <laughs> it's going to, you know, the more filmmakers, especially indie that do it, uh, the more accessible certain things are going to become, or the more accessible equipment is going to become, or like, you know, houses that can develop or, or scan stuff. Uh, so yeah, I just, I mean, I always want to be able to shoot on film. Um, it's just better. It looks better. And, you know, you get the argument that a lot of people are like, well, the general audience can't tell that it was shot on film. Does it really matter? And it's like, I, I agree that there's a larger chunk of the audience that can look at two images and say, I can't tell the difference, but I feel like if you're watching a movie, there's a subtextual quality to something mm-hmm. that's shot on film that draws you into the performance more. And I actually think that, you know, I don't know if it's by nature of the actors knowing they are being shot on film and they can't watch their takes or it's by nature of just the organic process of the chemical look of the film. But I feel like performances are just inherently better. Effects look better because I always shoot practical effects anyway. So it helps cover up those teams. It makes, like, I just feel like it makes everything look better. And a lot of people don't notice that when they're looking at two images next to each other, it's like digital versus film, but it's just like the organic moving quality of watching mm-hmm. draws you in more. And, you know, I, I, and when you asked about cons, I don't think there's any cons. I mean, sure, it costs a little more, but uh, <laughs> anything good. I mean, yeah, if you want cool effects, it's going to cost more. If you want a fucking explosion, it's going to cost more. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's filmmaking. Yeah, yeah I love that, man. Yeah, really? that's wild. Can, yeah. Sorry, about the effects. I mean, you could still do visual effects if you shoot film, right? I mean, you're still yeah. editing. Yeah, yeah, I've never digitally. done um, like actual CG, but all my movies have wire removal or comp or like, uh, have you guys seen VFW? I haven't seen it. No, no. Okay, so there's an open, there's a shot. Um, well, actually, it's, it's fucking never mind. It's shot on digital, but we could have done it on film. But there's a shot that basically like, um, it's on a crane and it's zooming as it pans into a car, and we had the entire highway that surrounds the VFW removed for the entire movie, like with all these shots without even mm-hmm. getting props. And I mean, you can do all that same shit on film. So like, uh, it's just grain. You know, we we shoot grain plates so that the visual mm-hmm. I can just replace the grain and. I mean, yeah, there's there's absolutely no difference whatsoever. And when we edit too, like we bring it to Photocam and uh, we just get drives back that has the footage digitized to however we want. And, you know, just like... And then you're off to the races. Post-wise, do you go back and like conform on film? Or is it just like once it's digitized that it just is, that's the chain from there on out? Yeah, uh, that's been the deal with all of our movies. Um, and then I make 35 prints, but it's from the digital master. You know, I've got all the dailies sitting in my fucking closet, which I sure. guess might be a con because now it's like it's a big sure. fucking lot of stuff stacked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, lot of hard drives either way, though, right? Like, it's yeah. uh, all stuff. Yeah, um, stuff like Once I'm in Hollywood and Licorice Pizza, those movies were, uh, they went, they cut on digital and then they went back and actually had a negative cut or cut them. And they do look, you can notice a slight difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a big cost. I don't know if I'll be able to afford um, if it's up to that point. 
And what about just because I, I am one of those guys, Joe, where I'm like, yeah, I'd spend the money elsewhere, put it in front of the camera or whatever. Um, but you've got you you're making a very convincing argument that I, I'm very curious about. What about just the amount of footage that you're capable of shooting, like the cost of actual film? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you did you, you ever feel limited with the amount of takes you get or anything like that? No, because um, <clears throat> when we first started sh- or when we did it on Bliss, we looked at our shooting ratio on our mm-hmm. and budgeted for around that. Um, because it's, I don't like run the camera usually. I mean, sometimes we'll do six takes and mm-hmm. I'll do two takes. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, with actors, I think they're more on point. And uh, I like to rehearse a lot anyway, just because by nature of how I make my movies, there's um, sure we're almost like you know growing organisms where we're rehearsing and riffing and building stuff up. So I do a lot of rehearsal anyway, which I guess lends itself to shooting on film. But like there, there were things in Christmas where we we're doing seven, eight, nine takes of long dialogue scenes just because like that one or, you know, in the dolly where they mm-hmm. talk about the bomb house and all that shit. Like I, I wrote that an hour before we shot it because we had four hours and we shot, you know, 10 takes of that two minute scene. And um, we still came in like I had 20 rolls of fucking film left over that I was able to put in my fridge after we shot because we actually went <laughs> under. Um, so <laughs> I, just, I just budget for what my usual shooting ratio is really like six to one or something like that um and honestly like i said like with bliss uh it was 60 grand all mm-hmm. in back to shoot on film uh, mm-hmm. we made the rest of it for 140 but i think that that 60 it's like yeah you could argue oh i'll put that elsewhere but i mean you could look at that movie and uh, where would you put the 60 it, i guarantee you think it looks bigger than a two hundred thousand dollars movie and that's by nature of the film like even if you watch a trailer for Bliss, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I mean, like, the entire thing is in a loft in front of downtown LA with a giant fucking 40-foot window with mm-hmm. the sun going down in front of it. And if I shot that on digital, the window would be blown out the entire mm-hmm. Sure, part yeah, yeah. Of the film. We have exposure on the fucking setting sun over the city in front of her, I mean, behind her, and with her exposed. And it's like the multiple levels of exposure that you're getting. Like, if you shot that on a red, the entire fucking thing would be blown out. You'd have to have five Ks pointed at her, fucking diffuse the windows. And then now you're losing six hours setting it up with the 16. You just put a daylight filter in and fucking shoot it. And it looks like a goddamn Tony Scott movie from 1992. So, like, I mean. Yeah, man. Yeah. there's like minute things that people don't think about besides just like, well, the cost is this. It's like, yeah, but sure. think about this aspect, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, the man hours that it takes <laughs> to like get things. No, man, I fucking love it. And I, I was like, I have a hunch. This is going to be a good conversation. So let's lead with it. <laughs> well, yeah. Did you, I mean, we yeah. talked about this a, a couple of years ago, but did you watch the last project Greenlight? Uh, the last one I watched was, oh, yeah, the guy who shot the Indian film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he yeah. fought. He, he was like, he was like, this one decision affects every single frame of the movie. Yeah. You know, all these other things, a better car crash, a better this, a better that is like, sure, maybe it'll, this moment might be a little higher production value or this a little better. You know, this location's more expensive. But he's like, but this one thing makes, yeah, touches every, every frame. And even though I'm with Matt, like, I love, digital stuff i love rolling like a like rolling all day and burning through hard drives i did respect like i i thought that that was like yeah, yeah. even though that guy was like kind of a tyrant um i thought that that <laughs> reasoning was pretty valid you know like hey i want to make a decision on how my movie looks and i think this one decision is probably going to be important the biggest differences yeah well and what i like the most out of all of this joe is that like you know your bottom line is like, cause 
it's important to me in the film. It's going to make everything better. So let's work around it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's easy to compromise with independent film. Do you know what I mean? You're you're making a $200,000 movie or whatever, whatever your budget is, it's easy. It, It can be death by a thousand cuts, right? And so I think that was part of why I was excited to talk to you. It was like, oh, I think this is a guy who maybe... Uh, has figured out how to be like, you can't tell me no, right? <laughs> so tell me, yeah, tell me a little bit more about, you were saying before that like uh, VFW was the only film where there was someone else, another party who had kind of decision-making power over you. So that means then the rest, you're kind of just doing independently without any kind of, uh, you know, overlord walk us through what, what is a, a Joe movie? How does it work now? How, what's your, what's your model? What's your system? How are you making films? How are you cranking them out so hard? You know, I think my thing is I don't really so far, you know, I don't really care about budget as long as it's something, you know, I would a little bit wage while making it, mm-hmm. you know, like mind's eye or, you know, almost human. I uh, just, me and my buddy made a credit card for like 25 grand and sold it for profit, thankfully. And then we were able to like piecemeal mind's eye. That was about 400 grand um, from like 20 different investors because we made money on mind's eye. So it kind of just went out and, uh, you know, Zach Zeman who financed like VHS, VHS movies gave us, uh, put in a portion, which then like we were able to kind of go on top of that. And then, mm-hmm. for, um, you know, somebody came to me and they were like, I got 200 grand to make a movie. Do you think you can do it? And I didn't care that it was less than Mind's Eye. I was just like, yeah, let's go fucking do it. Let's figure out. Let's look at Mind's Eye and all the, the issues that, or the, all the things that I think I can do better or that I know I fucked up on. And that's also another thing is not having somebody making those decisions. If something fucks up in my movie or something's not good, I can take responsibility from it and learn from it. Where if somebody mm-hmm. else makes a decision that I don't like, you can't do that. So um, with Bliss, that I did the same thing. And, you know, I think that just like with my first two movies, I proved that, you know, me and my producing partner can deliver a movie from blank page to releasable master uh without going over budget or over schedule and that was what was appealing to the bliss financier and then um you know vfw um i came on to that movie because it's i actually signed on to that movie before bliss got financed because i couldn't fucking get anything made and it was the first movie i was offered that i liked the script even though i completely overhauled it um and i knew that that company could get me uh like names of some sort which i thought was Mm -hmm. important on my resume that I could work with actors of a certain caliber, um, you know, going forward on my independent movie. So it was kind of like one of those things where it was like, there's benefits to this and I, I, I want to make a movie, but then Bliss, you know, I got the money for Bliss while I was in pre-production of VFW and I was like, hey, let's pause this movie because I'm going to go make Bliss. And uh, they weren't happy about that, but I did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, we, didn't even, we didn't even cast the movie. Like I was like, let me shoot it and if we get a cast, then I'll, I'll sideline it. Um, yeah. Literally, it took forever to get a cast and I went and made Bliss and I left the set of VFW on a Saturday morning. It was like, I was so funny because I was shooting an exploding car. I put the camera down, got in a car, went to the airport from Dallas, flew to New York City, got off the plane in New York City, went to my Tribeca premiere of Bliss, parted all night, got on a plane, flew back to Dallas, got off the plane and went back and started shooting VFW again. Shoot it up again. Love that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I noticed uh, in the credits that you're a cam operator as well. That's fun, man. Yeah, I, I know my um and i I dp'd my first uh two movies too bliss was the first one i didn't just because you know i wanted somebody i had never shot film before so i was nervous about that at the time um but then with um with christmas you know i was shopping it around and basically the idea was like we didn't need a production company we just need somebody to finance the movie so we weren't looking for like a company to come in and help us develop we weren't looking for like a spectrovision or 
somebody mm-hmm. like that. We're just looking for an entity that will finance the movie. And um, thankfully at the time, Shutter and RLJ was because of COVID and like their lack of festivals, they were trying to model where they were just going to cash flow movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they liked what we, our script and we, I was just like, well, you guys, you know, you guys financed VFW and all these other movies. It, the, the producers on VFW are different than the financiers. Like RLJ and Shutter financed VFW, but I had another company in between. Those are the mm-hmm. examples. But, um, so they came in there and I was like, all right, well, me and my buddy Josh are going to be the producers. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. You know, you have a track record. And, um, you know, we, I, they literally did not come on set. They didn't bother us. We had to do whatever the fuck we wanted as long as we delivered the movie by September 1st or whatever it was, they could release it. And, um, you know, it was kind of bothered just the deal going in. It's like, we've got four movies and, you know, we, you saw the quality of VFW compared to the other ones in that slate you guys did. You've seen what we've done. Like we're in this, you know, and, uh, thankfully for me, I was able to, you know, negotiate all that stuff and I didn't, I could do whatever I wanted as long as it was on budget and I delivered the script that they read, but essentially, um, and you know, they were true to their word and I fucking heard nothing. And me and Josh have the only producing credits on that movie. <laughs> uh, we came in on budget and on time and, you know, fucking much to their surprise that everything in the script, which I don't think anybody thought we could do. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Because they get two, and uh, they were kind of like, "Well, what are you going to cut out?" And it's like nothing. I'm just going to figure it out, and I fucking figured it out, which you know is a blessing and a curse because now people are going to be like, "Well, you did this for two, and it's like, yeah, but I wanted seven. You know, I did. That. I don't want to do that movie. I don't want a ten million dollar movie, and then it's going to make it for three. But do what you do. You know, yeah, movie, less money than I want. I figure it out. So let's just fucking lay those, I guess. And what was the mind's eye? What was the budget on that? Uh, a little under four hundred thousand, like three eighty maybe. And I saw, like, just in the trailer, like, you, like, flip a car upside down and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what, how, how much does that cost? Like, how do you set that yeah. up? Yeah. Uh, well, we shot that in New England. So, like, it, it, again, that's the thing where, like, people see it in a script and they get scared. And, it, like, mm-hmm. producers are just like, well, we, we got to cut that out. And it's like, why? Did you fucking actually look into it? No, you didn't because you're a fucking lazy asshole who's just going to sit there and be like, well, no, no, this way. Mm-hmm. Cars are expensive. That's yeah, a yeah. With producers too. Most producers now. I mean, it pisses me off so much because you look at something like fucking Terminator Two, and James Cameron's the only producer on the movie. Now you've got a movie of fucking two people in a house hearing sounds, and there's thirty-five producers on it. It's like this isn't how fucking movies are made, guys. And a lot of the problem with these producers are is that they've never actually fucking done filmmaking. They just come in, they're a fucking exec, and all of a sudden they're producing a movie and they think they know shit. But like, <clears throat> I've made movies from the ground up. I know how, sh- like, that's the benefit of having a filmmaker who is a producer or being a producer's fucking work on set because it's like a lot of these people are just like, like on VFW, they're like, well, no, you can't do that. And it's like, what do you mean? They literally told me on VFW that I, they couldn't afford a haze and set the bar. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I own a hazer. They're $100 on Amazon. <laughs> and they were like, well, who's going to run it? And I was like, I'll Velcro the remote to the fucking camera and press on. And I fucking haze the whole entire movie. And then the producer's like, this was only $100. What the fuck why don't we have hate on here i'm like what is wrong you guys oh my god this is mind-boggling so like the, the car thing you know people are just like well we got to cut that out it's like we shot at new england we shut down a road it was we paid a cop for 12 hours of his salary to fucking sit on each side of the road it's like what 500 we bought a beater car Wait, for so two, two cops like one on each side yeah. yeah what do they make 25 bucks a fucking hour a big deal and then we put one on each side of the road and then um, we bought a beater car for like 1800 bucks, and we got a stunt driver and paid him $1,000 to flip it. And then AAA was like $200 to fucking tow the car away. Like it was, it literally cost like $2,800 and we flipped the car. And it's like, yeah, that's the thing is that people are like, wait, cost- wait, but how did you flip it? The stunt driver flipped it. Like, I mean, what do you mean? We gave him $1,000 and they, you know, just set up a little ramp and fucking flipped the oh, car. Oh, there's a ramp. Yeah. Like, did he bring the ramp? Like 
two by fours and like cinder blocks or some shit. It was, I mean, it was literally like it was. It, it, Fuck yeah, though, man. And how did you find a stunt driver in whatever random town you're in? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got our stunt coordinator from Boston because um, we shot in Rhode Island. And, um, you know, we got this guy who was a stunt coordinator for shit that shoots in Boston. And he kind of just read our script and he was like, he was able, we, you know, fit his days around whatever HBO show he or David O. Russell movie he was doing. And uh, he came down and did our shit. And I think he was excited that, like, you know, me and my friends are like, let's flip a car and let's, we're going to throw people tele- telekinetically through the air and then we're going to blow this up. And he's like, all right, well, let's figure this out. And I think he was excited by that. And, you know, you hire a stunt coordinator and they have all this equipment and you have to pay them their minimum wage anyway, which is like 800 bucks a day or something, sag wise. So it's like, you know, you work with it that's what i mean is like i actually it's like well we're having the car crash let's figure it out oh it only costs three grand so now it's like in this movie i'm like well you know what guys i've done car crash before so now it's like blow up like four of them yeah 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 let's get into that actually because that shit looks so good and i was like oh that was the other thing i was like man like i have no idea how much money this movie costs you know normally you kind of look at stuff and you're like okay I, i can figure it out but like you know the, to walk us through the ambulance crash and then the explosion. Um. Yeah. Well, the thing, the, the good thing about the of, ambulance, of Christmas, sorry, of, Christmas, of, bloody of, Christmas, of Christmas, bloody Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, like there is, there's a lot of ambulance action in that. So there's mm-hmm. like space, and then the crash, and then it blows up. It like it blows up twice. Mm-hmm. So I was just by nature of like it's the same vehicle. So we bought two ambulances so that we could have, and then we only used one of them because I I I did it in a way where it wouldn't get destroyed. Um, and know. just like a total dumb question, but like, where do you buy an ambulance? Um, our production designer had like, uh, you know, he was also vehicles and he just searched around and, you know, he had done movies, you know, he's a production designer by nature. He's actually my production designer VFW too, but like he just has car people and it's like, you know, are there any ambulances for sale? So we just find ambulances for sale and we found two of them from, uh, I don't know, Texas maybe. And uh, yeah, we just, and how much is that? Like ten grand an ambulance? What was that? How much does an ambulance cost? Uh, they were. I think it was like fifteen grand for both of them, and then we didn't even use one, so we sold it after for like ten grand. So, <laughs> um, and then the uh, the cars that blew up are just like the cop car. It was just a, a shell of a car. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know we had a, a a team who was basically in charge of fire and snow who was on set the whole the on set the whole time. And I told them what I wanted, and they worked with a stunt coordinator. They cut the car in half. You know they put barrels of gasoline in it, which is all it is. It's just barrels of gasoline. How much fucking gasoline costs? And then uh, we had the stunt driver go through it. And it's just a a timed thing. You know they they so they cut the car in half and then they bolted it and welded it back together and uh, put like railroad stakes through the ground so that when it split in half uh it wouldn't fly and it was so funny because the guy was like you know a car wouldn't bust in half like this i don't think it's a good idea to do that and i was like it's gonna look fucking awesome he's like yeah but realistically that's not what would happen i was like okay well the robot driving the car (laughs) would you know and then we did it and he was like oh it's fucking awesome (laughs) that same thing it's like it didn't really i mean the nature of it's a shooting day it's almost a whole shooting day which i guess big cost but uh the thing is, is like, you know, you do something like that. And then, you know, right before lunch, you blow a fucking, you split a car and have them blow it up and your crew is like amped. And then they're fucking working on overdrive the second half of the day. So, you know, that's another thing just because I had done these cars things before I had a general idea that it's not scary to like wade into it. Let's figure it out. And, you know, we fucking figured it out. And then the same thing at the end, like that was just a fucking car that didn't move or didn't have an engine. They just put gasoline barrels in it, fucking blew it up. 
Have you ever done like a big stunt, like one of these things where you get one take and just been kind of disappointed in how it turned out? Um, probably. I'm trying to think. I've just like learned to live with things. Because <laughs> like that, that's happened to me a lot. We're like, oh, this, gonna, this guy's going to fly in the air. This guy, this thing's going to explode. This car is going to crash into this car. And then you're like, yeah, that didn't have the impact that I was hoping for. And they're like, well, you, we told you to get one take. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, I think I've been generally. I think also like the things I try and do are so ridiculous that like, you know, like I'm mind's eye. I wanted the car to barrel roll like seven times and it only flipped once, and it's like, yeah, that looks cool. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, and I, I guess to your credit, like the, like I might have been like, if, if this coordinator is like, yeah, this isn't really how it would work. That like, you know, a car wouldn't split in half and be like, well, how would it work? Okay, maybe we can go with that. You know, and mm-hmm. then it would not look that cool because it's like. Yeah. A lot of times the real reality of like what it looks like when you, yeah. Yeah. Blow well, someone's well, head off is like not, not, you know, the ambulance hits a car and then all caps, it splits in fucking half and explodes. It's like, well, yeah, that's exciting <laughs> to read. Like, and it's going to be exciting to watch. Just think about the visual of it. The camera is going to be here and you'll see it. In, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, it's hard. For, I, I never I try to never compromise. <laughs> yeah, man. I love I, I, the other thing. How many cameras did you have rolling on? On a, uh, how typically do you have on a big stunt like that? Uh, that was three. Three, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have two cameras, two sixteen cameras, and my DP on that movie owns one, so that was our package for the mm-hmm. movie. Um, Which camera and, is it? Uh, I we had two Ari sixteen SR threes, which are our main camera, and then I have this uh, Aton Minima, which is a sixteen camera that's literally like this big. It's so fucking awesome. Um, like the size of a bread loaf for listeners at home, give or yeah. take, or a football maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good, but then uh, you have to put the film mag on top of it. Oh, that's with the film mag. It's a two hundred oh. foot, um, and it's also a daytime mag, so like you can just load it wherever you don't gotta go fucking darker, but load it. But and it's really light. And I bought that for Bliss because there's a lot of shots on Bliss where the camera's attached to her body. And in Christmas, that's also the camera I use for the POV. I did all the POV shots, mm-hmm. but. Um, it's so light and the wide lens, you put a huge wide lens on it. And uh, in that camera, like that's what Gaspar Noe shot all of the reversible with because it's so light, you could throw it around everywhere. Um, and thank God I bought that. I bought it with Bliss because nobody in LA rented it. It's literally like the most advanced, smallest and lightest weight 16 camera imaginable. But they only made like 200 of them because digital came out. So I bought one on Bliss for like six grand. Um, and now they're like $35,000. And, like, and that's the same thing. Like my SR3, I bought for like, I don't know, 14. And now they're $40,000 over like a few years. Like, because it's only X amount of film cameras. That's why I don't know why any of these companies don't just start making them again, make a fucking killing. But um, anyway, I don't know why I got into that. But um, yeah, so those are the cameras that we use. That's our basic package. Killer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, I feel like I would be like, well, what if I put a GoPro or two in there as well? And then, yeah. you know. Well, I, 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 I've never done that because I know that it would suck. Yeah. If the, if it would suck. Good. And then it would suck if it was in there. So like, I yeah. Sort of want to <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause you're like also the DP yeah. or at least the operator. So you're like, you know, I mean, I think we, many of us have worked with DPs that like will not let something into the lens that they think might be used that they hate, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 Um, where I'm yeah. like, yeah, just shoot, just shoot, just point the camera. Just down. Like, Come on, man. Just do it once. I just need it. Yeah. Hell yeah, um, man. And um, how, how much, sorry, just for 200 feet, I'm just curious about this Aton uh, Minima. How many, you, you said 200 feet of 16 millimeter yeah. film. How much shooting time do you get out of that? 
Uh, six minutes. Six minutes. Okay. Cool. And then the SR3s, the 400 foot mags are about, that's like 11.55. Uh, okay, cool. seconds or so. Crazy. And, um, and uh, yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's crazy, man. Um, uh, where, where did you shoot? We have all the mags preloaded. So it's like, if we run out of a mag, it's like, you just pop it off. You just pop it in. Yeah. It's like putting a battery, literally. So again, it's like, as long as you, you're, film loader or your ac has a shield preloaded like it's running out of film on a mag is not a big deal no big deal yeah yeah and i've heard people talk about how there's a rhythm to it as well you know it's kind of like when you, you used to have like smaller cards there's something nice about like okay the immediacy of like we've only got five minutes left on this mag so just let's just get it done right you know what i mean um you know, the fucking mag runs out in the middle of a take <laughs> sure <laughs> sure <laughs> I mean that happens on digital too though man because I think the the other thing like to Oren's point like how much footage do we have that's just like okay hold the like still rolling and then you go fucking talk to the actors for five minutes and then come back to monitor well, and the then, then call action actors for <laughs> yeah because <laughs> because the, the truth is and maybe it's different with film but like still rolling is kind of director code for like Nobody do anything. I don't want you to like, like, like wardrobe, hair and makeup. Yeah. Like we're in the moment. So, so if I cut, then all of a sudden HMU is going to c- come in and like, you know, brush somebody off or like fix a collar or like somebody's going to go get a fucking snack or something. So that, that's, that's the truth. That's why you do it. Right. But it's like, yeah. you know, cause you can't say nobody fucking move, cut walk over and say you know like it just doesn't or maybe you could i don't know maybe yeah, i just yeah, have to no. train the crew a little bit better but like no yeah, i do that it's all a communication the time too, thing right i want to do i try to do series just because yeah once you cut like 100 notes are coming in too so yeah yeah yeah. that's the other thing it's like I, you just want to you want to keep your momentum and it's different when you're making your own movie yeah because you don't get 100 notes after yeah, take, yeah 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 you know? we orin and i do a lot of commercials so like there's a fucking you know tent full of client and agency people who as soon as i call cut are going to come tell me to like ask someone to smile more or like say the the brand lens a little bit more and you're just like no i'm just trying to get this joke right real quick you know can we talk a little bit about the practical effects obviously you created a lot of heads like copies of actors heads Mm -hmm. you're splitting people in half you're gouging eyeballs out yeah, walk us through that like, a little again, bit. Again, yeah. something that uh, I believe a producer would think is very expensive to do, yeah. but you're doing it like over and over and over again in these <laughs> movies. Like, how do you, like, how do you do that on your budgets and like and and so fast? Um, I think it's just well, the I think it's a kind of a thing too where it's like you figure out what your budget is. You know, we we usually uh, do like ten percent because my movies are so effects heavy. It's like ten percent of our budget usually goes to makeup effects and that's actually kind of been true all the way through um that pretty pretty solid number but um it's more or less like you know i want the moon and almost every single time you know i've laid out to my effects people i've used the same ones four times now mm-hmm. um josh and sierra russell and they did like they just did the new hellraiser um but that was their first big movie and then they went right into this and it was like our first bigger movie together um but you know they have the sense the independent sense too and it's kind of just like we just figure it out and i show them how i want to shoot things and it's like really just having a vision of not a vision but like having an idea a pretty specific idea of how you're going to shoot things because 
if they know, if the effects people know you're going to shoot something from very specific angles and you show them those angles, it requires a lot less build on their part. Um, or like maybe, you know, this head doesn't need to be as detailed, stuff like that. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just kind of work that shit in and figure out how to shoot it. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't look as good as you want and you have to be malleable on set and figure out how to shoot around that. Um, do you storyboard the sequences that you need practical effects uh, for? Yeah, some of them. There was, I had the most storyboards in Christmas out of anything. Um, because I storyboard all the robot shit because like, you know, we have to specifically know what we did and didn't need um and then the heads it's kind of just like you know uh we had to do some of those like the head crushing on the stairs with we actually shot reshot that in la i rebuilt the fucking staircase a piece of it wrapped it and thing and shot it in the garage fucking the head split because it didn't look good the first time but um so you have had an effect that didn't look that you were disappointed. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there you go you just oh, shot it again yeah that actually has happened a bunch of times and then um one of the things that I do with effects is I also specifically figure out ways that we can shoot certain effects, not in our main unit Um, Mm. because I own the cameras and because I operate and because I can like make it happen really, really with a small crew. There are like big effect scenes, especially in bliss and VFW and a couple of things in the Christmas movie that like we just shot with like three or four people. And then actually, for instance, like the robot scene at the end of because you guys have seen Christmas, that robot scene at the end with her was two weeks of shooting. And the first week, it was the last last two weeks of shooting of the movie. And our first week, I storyboarded it so that we shot everything with the actress and the mm-hmm. robot in the same shot, or mm-hmm. everything with the actress. Um, and then cut almost our entire crew, all the actors, or her, everything. Mm-hmm a really big skeleton or a really tiny skeleton crew and then we went back and re uh you know reset up the record store to its original thing and then spent the second week as a skeleton crew technically a second unit week with like six or seven people and then i shot all of just the robot specific shots of just Mm -hmm. the robot doing certain things so that we could then spend time um on that that we didn't need to do so like that was you know an eight page scene that we ended up shooting for two weeks but one of those weeks was way cheaper because now there's not 30 people Dude, that's that's so fucking good. That's I love that so much. I mean, it also sounds like you're like the AD of your movies in a yeah, way. Yeah, it's the way that I work. Like, I, I think I, I I don't know if I simultaneously piss people off or make their jobs easier, but like you know, my scripts have like the lighting in them, camera shots, and mm-hmm. like I just in my mind because of how I you know on Bliss we didn't even have an AD because I was supposed to be eight people, and on this my AD was kind of like it's like I want somebody to tell me what time it is and where things are. I don't want mm-hmm. somebody to tell me how to shoot something. Tell me, hey, you've only got four hours left, and let me fucking figure out how to right, shoot it. Right. Want you telling me how I'm going to shoot the fucking movie? Just in order to get a green light, we needed to submit a budget and a schedule. And I always do my budgets and schedules. Uh, VFW obviously somebody else did, but then I ripped them apart and they fucking you know went with mine. Um, but on this, you know, like I did the budget and the schedule, and of course we had a line producer and AD come on, but they used my mm-hmm. original budget and schedule as like All right, right here's it's the, the blueprint. Time. Yeah, yeah. Because the UPM is like, how the fuck you, the line producer is like, how the fuck are you gonna? This is impossible. And I'm like, well, I guess this isn't the job for you then. So <laughs> I'll find somebody who <laughs> can say that because I'm telling you it's fucking possible. Just like. And again, I don't need you to budget things for me. I just need you to tell me this is starting to go over budget. What do you need? You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I want that stuff. I don't want somebody to, because again, like I'm so ingrained in how much things cost. And, you know, I think it's such a big thing to be a producer who's also a filmmaker because I know that my scene's going to be better if we spend money here and not here. 
where other people who are producers are like, well, this is the way I make movies and this is how we usually do things. And it's like, yeah, well, I don't fucking care how you usually do things. Here's how I do things. I'm telling you, I don't need that. I don't need a script supervisor. Like I've never used a script supervisor. I fucking waste of money. The one time I had one, they, they're like, well, they're super important. Get the fuck out of here. Like I waste of fucking money. I love that you, not only do you not have a script supervisor, but like you're, are you monitoring how, uh, forgive me. It's been a long, like I haven't shot 16 since film school, which is a long fucking time ago. So who else can see what's happening on screen? Just you, just the camera op- operator. Um, it depends how fast we're moving. Yeah. I have HD taps set up to my, yeah, uh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what am I thinking? Like a wireless, like a Teradek type of deal. Yeah. And like, you know, the, the 16 cameras are film cameras. They have a tap, but they always would look like VHS, whatever. But I actually had HD ones installed. So it looks like the fucking red when you're looking at it, like the monitor. Cool. Um, but you know, my secret that my, uh, cast doesn't necessarily know is I have a monitor that can record on the monitor. So it's recorded. So any, like you're not looking at the 16th mm-hmm. basically phone camera like that they put next to the thing so you're seeing the exact frame and it just allows you playback so like my producing partner josh he's also my editor and he's on set with me the whole time and it's like if there is a question uh-huh. more so if you're shooting on digital it's like there's even less of a reason for a script on digital because it's like hey can you bring up that shot and in fucking all these producers want dailies on their ipads that they don't fucking watch so it's like <laughs> Bring up the fucking daily on an iPad in four seconds. You can look at it. Oh, let's have a, was the cup like that? I don't know. Bring it up, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. Let's see, like, I don't, you know what I mean? It's just the technology doesn't need, and I mean, and me, because I'm the camera operator and we're shooting, like, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's a cocky thing, but I just feel like I know what my frame was. I know where I picked up. I know, and it's never let me down. And there's times when it's like, yeah, let's double check that. And within five seconds, my editor can bring it up, you know? So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah hell yeah man i love it i love it you know i don't want to say who it was but i did a podcast and one of the people on the podcast is like a teacher at a, a film school and i'm like i'm saying all this stuff and they're like well this is this is not what you should be telling film way to make a movie like i'm just i'm just gonna be fucking honest i don't know like sure that's not for everybody but that's how i do it i don't know <laughs> what do you want yeah man well and i guess uh have there ever been instances when you're in the edit where you're like dang i missed that and has it ever really been a problem um sure i mean that comes up but i think that that's not like because of that situation i think it's more like oh i wish that i had gotten this insert i thought maybe it would have played without it or Mm -hmm. maybe it would have played differently but there are a lot of times when i can just go and you know shoot those inserts or like shoot things to get around you know it might not necessarily be what i would have done if i fixed it on set but there are ways to fix things you know can we talk a little bit about like just acting and casting and performances and stuff like you know in christmas you have riley dandy one person that's very much like in every single scene and kind of carrying the movie and has like a pretty intense performance like almost from like the very first frame like she's either arguing with people or yelling at people or fighting with people or having sex with people or running away from people um like, how do you how do you prepare for stuff like that? And, and I mean, the whole cast, every obviously once, you know, the killing starts, like everyone's pretty, pretty serious, like pretty intense. Like, can you tell us a little bit about like that, like kind of what you tell your actors and like how you get kind of these performances? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it's on the page. Uh, and I also work with a lot of the same actors. So like in Christmas, everybody besides uh, Riley and Sam, who are the two leads, are people that I've worked with before or that I'm friends with and I've wanted to work with. Um, so a lot of it comes from like, as I add more people to the stable, I write 
roles specifically for them that I think that they can embody. And um, with Riley and Sam specifically, uh, you know, a lot of credit does go to RLJ and Shudder because even though it's a $2 million movie, they um, didn't, they were non-cast contingent. They let me cast whoever the fuck I wanted. Um, which was huge because with a movie like this, because like the it is such a specific role, and I mean she's fucking playing me basically, um, which I think that you know well, she very quickly learned, and uh, I think spending nine weeks you know uh, together in a tiny town, she was able to kind of sponge my personality, which helped her riffing on certain things. Um, Where did so, you guys shoot? Uh, what was that? Where did you shoot? Yeah, it was uh, very Placerville. So uh, wait, you said Placerville? Yeah. Dude, my parents used to live in Placerville. That's so oh, funny. That's fucking wild, man. That is really crazy. I can't believe I didn't. They'll be excited to hear that. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like when, uh, because it's so specifically me, you know, when I was, and that's another thing too, is like, since they didn't need me to cast a name, which, you know, I was very much against, you know, I don't want to offer this to some fucking stupid WB actor, some shit doesn't want to do it because it is such a specific role and I want to see them saying this shit. So like, you know, um, I got a really great casting director, Amy Renee, who casts like, you know, Jim Cummings, mm-hmm. yes, shit like, that. like a lot of, uh, really kind of voracious indies. She got the material and, uh, I just, you know, she fucking auditioned a ton of people and i narrowed the list down and riley was like able to nail the pet cemetery 2 monologue with such conviction that it's like well surely this would convince people to watch pet cemetery. like this is fucking <laughs> it sounds like me you know giving a late night rant to my friends and then you know she was able to nail the monologue so she's able to do that and then in our second round it's very important to me like i was talking about that uh, that they can take new dialogue on the fly mm-hmm. or the thing so like in the second round of auditions i kind of gave her new material on the spot see how she did it and then i acted like you know the other actor in the scene to see how she would riff and i mean she was riffing stuff that sounded like i had written it um and uh it, it was kind of that where i was just like not only is she nailing this stuff in like the almost exact tone but she's like riffing very very instinctually and, and you're doing this like in an audition room fucking zoom i wish it was an audition room but it was on zoom um which was awful because i also couldn't do chemistry reads like Mm -hmm. i had to go off of my you know instinct that they would have good chemistry together so it was just that and then it's like you know i had to have a very serious like it's hard because once somebody's got that it then has to be like just so you know this is how i work and this is how it's going to be but i'm going to be and i think me being the camera operator goes a long way and she you know always says this but like the fact that at the end of the movie, she's getting covered in freezing cold water on a 20 hour day and doing all these stunts. It's like, well, I'm going to be there on the camera getting soaked. I'm not going to wear a fucking wetsuit. And then every stunt that she would do, it's like, you're going to jump off. You're going to fall off of that thing on the ground. I'll do it first. Oh, you're going to stab this robot and it's going to explode. I'll do it first. Oh, you're going to drive that car around a dangerous turn. It'll be me and you in the car. I'm going to be on the hood with the camera. So like there was never a moment where she thought that she would be doing something like if I wasn't doing it with her. So it's like, and that's another reason why I love being the camera. It's like, we clear everybody the fuck out of the room. It's me, the camera and the actors and we're all at the floor and like, no boom ops. What was that? No boom operators. Uh, if they're in my way, I tell them to fucking leave. It's so, it's so annoying too because it's like, well, we need good sound. It's like, okay, cool. What about those $10,000 labs that are fucking attached to all the actors? And it's like, oh, we can't do the 360 shots as a boom guy. I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to do a cool shot because the fucking boom guy doesn't know how to do his job. Like, okay. Well, <laughs> and then, you know, on this movie specifically, I had really bad boom up the first half. And then the second half, like, who was saying shit like that? Like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, okay, we'll do it on last. Get the fuck out of the room. And then we had a second boom up because I think that one got so mad that I just kept telling him to leave. And the second boom up, 
fucking boomed the whole movie, and I probably saw him once. That <laughs> definition of a great boom. Yeah, they're like the ninjas. <laughs> I have the, the sound guy I worked with, Josh Bissett. I don't know if you remember them, Matt, but he was like, like we would do a whole feature, and no one would know him at the end of the feature. <laughs> this guy's like the best sound guy I've ever met. <laughs> oh, that's a good call. No, they're like, "Where's Josh at the rap party?" Like, oh, forgot. Is he on this party? Oh, that's the boom guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can hear you very well, guys. Um, uh, can I say about the driving for a second? Because I, I've shot, you know, actors driving and acting before. And I'm, you know, usually it's fine. But sometimes, you know, they're like not that comfortable driving, you know, mm-hmm. on a real street and stuff and acting. Obviously, the driving you're having these people do is like insane. Um, no windshields, you know, broken glass, like blood all over their face. Nighttime lights mm-hmm. flashing in their eyes. Do you like? Do you use process trailers also or like what's your like tell me a little bit about shooting driving in cars? Uh yeah, I don't know. I mean we just it's kind of just we just drove and I was like, all right, we're well, here we are. And I don't know, you know, she was excited about all this stuff. And the ambulance uh specifically, at the end we actually did have a stunt driver there. We hired a stunt driver and we hired a stunt well, a stunt coordinator was gonna play Santa, but we got there and Riley was like did the first take and she was like well this is awesome and then she just ended up doing every single take and same thing with abe who was saying like because i'm you know when he's on the back of the ambulance i'm also strapped in the back and i'm like holding yeah both shooting and like it was fucking awesome and i'm like yeah yeah yeah. actually you're reminding me so so there's a shot where santa is hanging off the back of the ambulance and then you pan across the ambulance there isn't a cut is there where you and then you get wait so how did you get that shot um i was in the back of the uh, that yeah, was yeah, car to car. Okay. Yeah. The road shut down. So sure. Um, and we just had one of our effects guys, uh, I was in the back of his pickup and we were speeding along and that shot wasn't planned because I thought that that's Riley wasn't going to drive. But once she started driving, I was like, all right, well, we need this shot. Obviously <laughs> we need to do this shot. Like we were, see both of them in the one thing. And, um, yeah, we had a blast and it was just like, yeah, we had a road shut down. I'm in the back of a pickup, you know, my DP's operating B cam. There's a fucking snow machine. There's a van with a snow machine strapped to the top of it in front. And we're just fucking, you know, driving up and down. And then I'm like, all right, strap me into the back of the fucking thing. I want to be there. Like, you know, operating with him while I'm hanging off the back and then throw me in the back and let the doors flap. And it was a fucking blast. Was- Wait, the snow machine is shooting snow in front of you guys. So it looks like you're driving through snow. Yeah. Yeah. The whole movie was, is actually really, here's another thing too, is everybody's like, well, how did you have the budget to do all this snow? Uh, the snow machines we used are like $200 on Amazon and we had two PAs just. What's the snow? Like soap or something? Yeah. It's like literally like the shit that you kind of equivalent of like car wash stuff. Um, but when it's cold, it sticks and it looks like snow on the ground. But yeah, I mean, that it's literally a fogger, like a fog machine. And they put a certain solution in it. It's the snow. I don't know. Again, on Amazon, so it's snow, snow fluid. You know, I typed it. Sure. <laughs> you put like a pantyhose over the, uh, it's like a little condom over the fucking. Um, like, like the nozzle or whatever. Yeah. There's something where like it pushes through those little holes and the, it pushes the soap out and makes it into snow. Yeah. So that was actually one of our most logistical it was cheap and easy, but you know, the second the wind changes and then like, if you're doing something like on the walk and talk, obviously it's not going to be falling in front of them, but I have a wide shot. So you mm-hmm. need to not see the snow machine. So it's like just figuring out the logistics of that. But I mean, that was literally just PAs that whole movie with two cheap snow machines. Did you shut down the town effectively? Like what was it like shooting in a small town that you're not from, uh, um, you know, has Hollywood come to town for them? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I'm sure as you know, Placerville is a very divided town. So, you know, we've got, uh, 
you know, half of it's MAGA people and half of it's just, you know, chill people. So, like, at first, the MAGA people are like, fucking Hollywood coming and fucking town. Um, even though we're bringing $2 million to the fucking town. Sure. Uh, but, like, you know, we would just shut down the Liars Bench, which I don't know how familiar the classroom, but the main, but the, the dive bar on Main Street is Liars Bench. So, we would just shut that down fucking every night we had off. And a lot of the town people were super cool and they would come out and watch stuff happen. But because we shot at night, overnights the whole time, the fucking place shuts down. Like, that's another thing that sure. sucks. The place shuts down at 7 p.m. So, We'd sleep all day Saturday and Sunday, and there's nowhere to get anything to fucking eat because everything shuts down at seven. But because of that, it was like very easy for us to shut down the streets and mm-hmm. you could take and, over anything. Then, yeah, yeah it was. I, I'd never been there. We just I wanted to shoot close to LA, close enough to LA where I could do pre pro here because everybody came from LA, and you know I didn't want to like spend eight weeks pre pro there. So I was kind of going back and forth up until we shot. We didn't need to worry about tax incentives either. So I was like, I just want to shoot in California. Um, but I had never been there, and we were scouting towns all over California. Me and my priest partner drove to like 30 of them, and it was so wild. That was the last one, and it was almost like I wrote it for that town because that fucking Main Street, besides those two houses up in Poly Pines or whatever, uh, we spent six weeks on Main Street, and like the record store was just an empty building, like an empty white room that said had a four-lease sign, and then next to it was a fucking building that looked like it used to be a police station that had a four-lease sign on it, and then three fucking buildings down was this giant toy store that somehow is able to survive in this tiny town that is like fucking FAO Swartz, and then um, the bar that was just an empty bar on top of the record store thing. It was just like, it was supposed to originally a two-thing complex, and like they just never ripped out the bar, so we just, I was like, oh, look, these three places are for lease. We called them, like, can we do like a three-month rental? And then we shut down the street obviously or we had when we were doing the walk and talks and anything that wasn't chases we were able to shoot in the street but we couldn't shut it down but nobody was driving anyway so for like six weeks it was literally like the fucking universal studios back lot. it was like we just roll to fucking main street it's like oh, i'm gonna go check on the police station oh okay well here's our staging today or here's our you know um where we're eating lunch or here's our fucking production office today it's like over here and like we just literally me and my 20 fucking friends who are making the movie were just hanging out fucking on the street you know uh <laughs> There's a fucking weed shop right in the middle of the street. The fucking bars open up too. Everybody's just partying all night and fucking shooting a goddamn movie. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, man. Living the dream, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask, I want to ask one more question about the driving scenes just because they're so good. Um, like what, do you have like a speed that you feel like is like a good speed to drive that you can still make a car look fast, but still, you know, the camera's not like bouncing all over the place and you, you can still stage things and block things. You're not running out of street to shoot on um well it's hard to say because because i guess we use such shit cars uh every time i've done a car scene in a movie it's they're flooring it so <laughs> it goes faster um and yeah so it just goes fast as possible and then you tell riley so it goes fast as you feel safe and she just fucking punch the gas and floor it and i'm the operator so i'm just like strapped in or i'm I don't, you know i don't have to worry about somebody else bouncing around or something because i can i can do that and then you know you just put on the widest you know i also found on this uh you know, if you're shooting exteriors, tight lenses look good. But if you can get a super wide lens and get up close, it looks even better, like Mad Max style. You know, we were shooting some of the stuff like when she's running over Santa, and it's like I put this fucking just like almost a fisheye, like the wide as you go without a fisheye, like seeing you know the the um the like vignetting with everything coming at you on this yeah. lens, like with the snow, it really kind of gives you a an effect that you're fucking flying. But I mean, honestly, they were probably going like 35 and all the driving scenes. It's just that those cars were so fucking shitty that that was top speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like 35 is kind of the sweet spot where it's like everyone has very clear control, but it still it feels like you're going pretty fast, you know? 
Like 35 miles per hour is actually fast, just yeah. relative yeah. to driving on a freeway or whatever. It's different. It's you know? the there's a scene where there's this big military truck and William Sadler is actually driving it. So you get William Sadler driving this thing and I wanted an up close shot of his face and the sun was coming up and we couldn't rig have time to rig you know a fucking stupid grip on that movie i hated him he was like he didn't have time to he's like well it's gonna take too long to rig uh, something to the car so i was like so you tell me i got william sadler you know driving a military convoy as the sun's coming up and i can't shoot his face driving the military convoy and i was like well i'm just gonna go up and hang on to the side of the convoy and shoot in the, in the window and the producer and the sunquare like absolutely not you will not do that we'll we'll shut down production and i'm like oh my fucking god I was like okay whatever so i went up to sadler and i was like hey i'm gonna jump on the car when i call action okay um so i went back and i had the, the camera on my shoulder and i'm like action and i ran full speed up onto the convoy <laughs> grabbing the thing and my fucking thing and he just two and busted through a fence and i shot the whole thing and the producer's like i swear to god <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what are you gonna do fire me two days before we finish whatever and the shot looks dope and it's like did you use the the approach too did you get the run is that did you use that or no yeah, it, it, it looked like, it I was like a, yeah 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 still man fuck yeah are you you're shooting mainly handheld um it depends on the situation you know um i used steadicam for the first time on christmas um right like the whole opening uh, sequence uh, right zoom work uh vfw was like the first 20 minutes i put us because that's like seven actors and the first 20 minutes of that movie of them just bullshitting at a bar so i basically and we shot that movie in 18 fucking days because it was just so it was so low budget and um on that movie, I specifically just got a 10 foot slide and I staged it in a way where I could shoot two cameras and basically nail pop off coverage. Like of you like, were operating both cameras? No, no, no. My DP was oh. on the second one, but like, it's like, I'm going to be the main on the slider and then you pop off these lines. So like we were able to get 12 pages basically in a day. Um, and in handheld, that wouldn't have worked as much, but other scenes where they're actually walking around the bar and that I did handheld. And I also like that because it's almost like you're a dancer on the stage there. And it was like, okay, well, we're going to combine these three scenes and do nine pages at once. And let's figure this out. And it's like, you're literally like, it's like a dancer. It's like you're walking over here and then I'm going to whip this way and I'll have B camera grab that because I'm going to be moving my camera over here. And like, and we're going to do all top lighting tubes with a lot of neon practicals. That's also why I like doing practical. Like a lot of mm -hmm. my practicals built in and then we can just, use key lights like a stair i shoot a lot of the stairs too i love the led um film combination so it's like you get all the practical lights in frame and it's like okay we'll just pop in a stair off to the side just give it a little bit of extra you know um edging or something like that i would say probably 50 percent handheld my movies maybe but yeah. also it's you know if you go on a wide enough lens you know i like to shoot on the six millimeter lens on the on 16 so even if you're walking around wait did that, you did you just say a six millimeter lens yeah, yeah. it's probably like a 14 or something right on yeah for 16 it's about uh it's probably about a 10 ish oh, 10. um and i'm trying to find the widest i can get without fish eyeing i, I just found a 5.5 that doesn't fish eye that's a little bit wider but um yeah like uh yeah so all that well no not all the POV stuff some of it's anamorphic on christmas but yeah the six millimeter a lot of bliss i shot in the six millimeter a lot of the movie i'm shooting right now um has pov stuff that i shot in the six millimeter lens it's my favorite lens it looks fucking incredible so you and don't really care that that the human eye doesn't look like <laughs> like you don't want it you don't want your pov shots to mimic the human well the, or a robot right. a robot's field of view might be wider right <laughs> i don't know man i think five with the six millimeter looks pretty it looks pretty close to my eye you have uh, a, you have incredible peripheral vision yeah, yeah yeah i feel like my peripheral vision is far too narrow but so you have like a scene in christmas bloody christmas where yeah, I mean, there's a lot of crazy destruction, lasers, like, pe like insanity happening. But 
just a, an example of one scene is like when the ambulance crashes uh, into something and like someone flies through the, the front window. Like, I guess if I had that stunt and a shoot day, I would probably allocate like at least half the shoot day to, to doing something like that. Like how long, how, how fast long can you take? do a stunt like that? Yeah. You know, where you're, you have a body, you know, whether it's a dummy or a real body or whatever, like flying through a window, breaking glass, um, at night you have to light it. Like how long does something like that take someone like you? Um, well that scene specifically, we had the crash into the car, then the body going through the windshield and then an explosion. Um, so we kind of did all three of those things back to back and the scene was lit because it's a parking lot, like for all three essentially. Um, but with that, like we piled all that stuff into the first half of the day um, and our lunch would be like midnight or whatever. And because everything after that was dialogue, we were able to have our stunt and effects team come in earlier and set that stuff up mm-hmm. before the crew got there. And like, I got there early, obviously, and I had storyboards for that. And we saw, like, I, I, sh- we did tests to see how it would work and we knew how it was work. The biggest fucking time suck on that was, uh, we had three windshields, um, mm-hmm. that breakaway and, so we could do it three times and installing the breakaway window the second and third time after the cruising. It was the longest fucking thing, but it was just, it was literally like a crash test dummy that you could buy online. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it a real, like, yeah. are you launching it or pulling it? So basically what they did was, um, they put like a, a piece of pipe, uh, between its legs, um, that stuck out just a tiny, tiny bit, but it went through the whole body and then they put it on an air cannon so that it was connected and pointed at the windshield uh-huh. and basically it would be like a thing where it was like one, two, three. And we had like uh, a, a wench or whatever that would like nudge the car so that it would have that thing. And on one, two, three, it would go boom. And then they would hit when they felt the car nudge, they would hit the fucking laser like acne thing, a big red button. And it would shoot through the glass and fly out. Fire the pneumatic cannon dummy. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and the dummy is actually breaking the glass. There's nothing yeah, separate breaking like, the glass. Like the way glass, it's like super, you know. And that was oh, also right. like, so fucking long to install because you have to be meticulous to like. And mm-hmm. it had to, uh, but yeah, it was breakaway glass. But it was a pretty hard dummy. And that was another thing is like, you know, the practical effect. I was like, well, I don't know how you're going to do this because windshields are really hard to get through, and we can't have breakaway glass because if somebody went through a windshield, it would just be a hole because they're meant not to shatter. It wouldn't shatter. And I was like. <laughs> Nobody's gonna care. And then I watched uh, I watched this movie called Body Parts while I was in pre production, and it was just like I was just I just got the new Blu-ray, so I had it on. And there's a scene where that motherfucker I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it has one of the coolest car crashes at the beginning. The guy hits a thing on the highway, and his body flies through the windshield, and they show from like four different angles, and the mm-hmm. windshield explodes into a million pieces. <laughs> and I'm like, I just I'm like, told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody thinks about the fact that wait, that windshield shouldn't shatter, and it's like sure. The weird, practical, realistic things people think about. It's a fucking movie. It's a, it's a killer robot movie. I don't care how windshields realistically fucking shattered. It's like, come the fuck down. And it, what, was it another situation where you're like, well, let me just see how much breakaway windshield glass costs? No, because it's going to, at that point, it's like a windshield's $200 anyway, or $300. And you have to have the guy somebody it, yeah, yeah. It to install it anyway. So it's like, I don't know, it was probably $200 more or something like that. But if it was a real windshield, that's the thing is it wouldn't go through because they are meant to not shatter. So right. it's like that was a thing is he was like, I don't understand how I manufacture something that it can go through, but also replicates what I, I'm like, dude, just break my fucking glass. Who cares? Like, 
yeah. you know, and on my first couple movies, it was so low budget that we made breakaway glass and it's just sugar and water and you cook it in the fucking oven. But like on this, you know, I don't have an oven big enough to make a windshield, but like on my first movie, I, I was making them for like side windows. And Fuck yes, Joe. That's fucking so awesome. That's so hardcore. Like I, it's, it's truly inspiring to just be like, oh, I'm just going to go make my own breakaway glass is so fucking awesome, dude. Is it the same as sugar yeah, glass? That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Though listeners at home, if you ever buy breakaway glass from like a prop shop or whatever, it's not sugar. So don't eat it and tell everyone not to eat it because inevitably someone will be like, oh, this is just sugar glass. Let me taste it. And then they're like eating plastic or whatever. It's like bad for you if you buy the real stuff. <laughs> I was doing it for car windows on my first movie, like side windows, and they didn't fit exactly. It was just making big squares. Mm-hmm. So just, like tape it, and then you cut on the shatter, and nobody could like this. There's fucking gaps, but like you cut and it's yeah. outside, but it's putting their elbow, and then you cut inside, and the glass is flying off the fucking camera, and nobody's no. I forget that it's a square. Fucking piece, awesome, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is fucking awesome, man. That's so great. Oh uh, yeah, I come from the the Peter Jackson way of filmmaking, where it's like you just fucking figure shit out. I think that that's what lends itself to now. Even though I have a couple million dollars, I'm still just doing things that way, but putting my money into robots and explosions and like, right? Oh yeah, I've got two million bucks. That doesn't mean I'm going to hire eighty people and fucking you know. Well, Joe, we'll have to have you come come back. I'm sure you're going to have six more movies um, in the next year. So uh, you know, anytime. <laughs> this one, I got to get this one off my fucking plate. Yeah, man. Yeah. What's next? Is it is the plan to kind of keep making, keep directing features? Like, would you ever like produce, write, or do TV or anything? Um, else? I don't really want to do TV unless it's the right thing because I don't want to join the DGA. Um, and also, I have a couple of friends who went into the TV world and became very comfortable, and they make less features now. Um, I don't want to get hypnotized by that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Try not to set myself up for that. Uh, writing. I would be down to write something like as long as it was something I didn't want to direct, you know, I'd be okay. Or like that I wouldn't feel bad about putting my name on. Um, but I think a lot of people think my strengths are directing. So nobody's really going to hire me to write anything, but I would, um, I've went out for writing jobs before. Um, but I want to stick with features. Uh, it's definitely my main thing. Um, I love features of cinema. That's, you know, why I do this. I'd love to do music videos of bands that I like, but it's so annoying because you know, like my reps are like, well, you know, a lot of uh, music video directors want to direct features too. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I think it's harder to direct. Like, I, I don't know. Isn't it more appealing to music to bands like that? A feature director wants to direct a music video, you know, like there's nobody's directing, you know, $50,000 Mastodon videos. Like why the fuck can't, why can't I go direct one of those? Sure. And also like, because I write so many scripts that don't get financed or I write more scripts than get financed. Like I had more time practicing writing and I wish I could practice directing or like not practice, but like if I have an idea for shots or like little things, I'd rather be able to like get in the field and try that shit out in an experimental way that, you know, not have to wait every two years to make a movie or every year or whatever. But, um, just by the nature of the game, I put so much time and energy into features. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a long time to write something and try to get money. And I usually just don't have time to kind of pursue other stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, an exciting career you have. And it obviously sounds like you really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, it's a hard job, you know, but I love it. It's the best thing in the world. Yeah, man. Well, do you have a few more minutes to hang out and uh, endorse with us? Sure. Unpaid endorsements. So, you know, I got this Nespresso machine. I've been making, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whenever coffee's 
And for my kid, I make the, I talked about the, the baby Chino, right? You just, uh, it comes with this frother. You'll be disgusted, but I put like half milk, half, half and half. And then I froth it. Uh, I put like b- vanilla in there and I just like bought, you know, vanilla off uh, Amazon, you know, Joe Biggest style. I hate to sound like I'm endorsing Amazon so much. I fucking hate Amazon, but that's so easy. And like, <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, everyone has a love hate relationship with them. Yeah. I, I think everyone's in that boat of like, oh, God. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, what else? You, you, are you going to go to Walmart to get your fog machine? You know what I mean? Like, it's the same fucking problem. So, so I bought like that thing that they have at like all the coffee shops, like the, t- the Tarani vanilla syrup. It's like in this big mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it comes with a pump. Mm-hmm. And it's, I just feel like I just feel so cool when my daughter and like my daughter comes over, she does like a pump of vanilla into her baby Chino. And it's just like, it's just a real, real living the high life here. So uh, I guess uh, I'm endorsing the Tarani vanilla syrup <laughs> with the pump. You only have to buy the pump one time. Then you just buy the vanilla syrup. But I am like someone that does not drink any sugar in any of my coffee drinks. But for some reason, like started putting a little vanilla in my coffee and it, Makes me kind of happy in the afternoon. Only in the afternoon. Not mm. fucking around in the morning. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right. So Tarani syrup is your endorsement. I mean, I don't have I told anything. It's a really bad one. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Joe. I guess I'll endorse what I think is my favorite movie of the year so far, because I think it's criminally underseen. Um, but, you know, I've had such a busy year. I'm just I'm trying to catch up on fucking movies that I miss this year, but you know, I'm shooting and fucking releasing a movie. I'm trying my best. But there's this movie that I watched a couple months ago called dinner in america have you guys heard of it? yeah remind me what is it so it was at sundance in 2020 and mm-hmm. took forever to get released i think i know why now watching it, it's pretty politically incorrect but like not in a bad way i guess it's just you know um everybody's so touchy nowadays but like it, it's just it's just really kind of sweet but punk gutter punk uh comedy it's almost like heather's it says this in the trailer so i hate to say this but it's like heather's meets napoleon dynamite but it's honestly like a really good fucking Mm -hmm. uh and uh it's just this great movie where uh you know it's this dude who's uh in a punk band and he wears a mask and it's a super underground punk band and he kind of just couch surfs and he meets up with chicks at the from the shows and stays at their house and it opens up with like him staying at this chick's house and the dad's super racist fucking asshole so the kid ends up burning down the house and like it's just middle america like the worst of the worst like shit towns in middle america and uh he goes around and he has this girl who's like a huge fan of his who sends him polaroids of like her masturbating and like fucking orgasming and he doesn't know who she is and she doesn't actually know who he is and he ends up meeting up with her at a festival or a show an underground basement show and crashes at her place he doesn't know that she's the girl who sends these pictures and she doesn't know that he's the singer of the band but he finds the polaroids and they end up finding that they're and she's like this super nerdy chick and he's like this fucking crazy like anarchist punk dude um and they end up kind of like just running off together and it becomes like this thing where like all the characters are just like at first it's like they're all like the worst fucking assholes but then like they all kind of grow and by the end of the movie it's like I don't know. It's just, it was, it's a type of movie that's definitely not made anymore. It felt very, um, very, very Sundance, early nineties, like a mm-hmm. movie. That mm-hmm. yeah. Pat been, Healy's like, in it. Isn't he yeah. in every Sundance yeah. movie? Kyle Gallner, who, um, I've never like, has never stuck out to me before, like kills it in this fucking movie. Um, and it's just really good. It's on Hulu now and Arrow put out the Blu-ray, uh, in the UK, which is, what i where i first saw it i wonder but now it's on hulu um but like yeah i think more people are talking about it now and um slowly now that it's more available but like i don't think anything stuck with me that this year so far that much um 
and I'm not sure what else would. Um, doesn't really seem like there's a lot of things on the horizon. Um, you know, I'm seeing Avatar tomorrow, which I'm super excited about. <laughs> but I think after I walk out of the theater, I won't think about it. Um, but yeah, Dinner in America is my uh, unpaid endorsement because I feel like you know indie movies like that need all the eyes they can get. Hell yeah, man. That's cool. Yeah, so my unpaid endorsement is Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story, uh, which you can watch for free if you just go to Roku.com, but you do have to watch a few commercials. Yeah, that is the deal. You know, there's not that many of them. Mostly it's up front, and then there's like, there's maybe two ad breaks in between. Are they in good places? Like they're pretty Yeah, good. they're in good places. And also like, it's a film that's not so immersive that like you get pulled out of the world of Weird Al when <laughs> when the ad comes on. Do you know what I mean? I think he's like so saturated in like Americana and pop culture that like, you know, I wish they honestly, I wish they'd done a couple fake commercials like they used to do, like in UHF. Like if there were a couple UHF style commercials, like kind of wrapping around the Roku commercials, that would be the fucking best. But, um, you know, they had, uh, they were busy. It's really fun. It's really zany. If you like Weird Al, then obviously uh, it's for you. I really had a great time. As a person who loves the other parody uh, biopic film, Walk Hard, There, it's a great double header right there of just like straight up zaniness uh, and, and funny songs. So... <laughs> Um, if you've been if you're on the fence on it I, I would say go for it for sure it delivers exactly what uh, it's promising so yeah I'm gonna watch it for sure yeah watch it with your kid man oh you think so yeah I don't think I don't think there's some gun violence I don't know but where you stand it, on that is, she, is it interesting enough I think it, it's real goofy you know okay. yeah 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 it's it's silly you know weird off sometimes has kind of like a he'll go weirdly dark like su mm -hmm. surprisingly dark. I don't think any of that is in this one. I think it's pretty straight laced. I guess he does. There's some drunk driving stuff that's like over the top, but my daughter's into that. Yeah. Yeah. She loves it. Um, Joe was operating. He was on the hood of the car as oh, Daniel Radcliffe was driving around. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like Joe, we'd rather you not be, uh, um, well, cool, man. Thanks. Uh, are you on social media? How do we, I mean, I, obviously we found you on social media. People have just finished listening to this interview. They want to keep track of all of the cool shit you're doing. What's the best way to, to look you up? It's my name on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not, I'm not as active, I guess, as people tell me I should be, but I'm, I'm popping. I pop around. I'm on there sometimes. Yeah. J-O-E-B-E-G-O-S. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, thanks, Joe. If uh, you have questions for us or the show, you can hit us up at Just Shoot It Pod across all social media. Uh, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Write us a review on like iTunes or Spotify that helps the show grow and would be really appreciated. Um, and you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. And this episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Our producer is Tyler Smalls. The music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.